Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, through to chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So the gospel message that we usually preach is Jesus died to save us from our sins. Um, Therefore, we repent of our sins. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But just as important to this message is the message that Jesus is returning And in this second letter of Peter, it has the return of Jesus as a major theme. He doesn't teach us a lot about it, but he keeps reminding us of it. You see, the early church, they were expecting the return of Jesus to happen in their own lifetime. And every generation since then, um, disciples of Jesus have been anxiously awaiting the coming of Jesus and expecting it to be very soon. Excuse me. For some people, uh, every world event or even every national event or even every local event that happens gets them all the more convinced, oh, things are getting so bad, Jesus has got to return any moment. Um, But then other people have been hearing people say this for so many generations and they've heard so many people claiming to be prophets of God saying Jesus is going to come before such and such a date or some even name a date and say that's the date that he's coming. And people have been saying this for so long and I suppose you've noticed that 
so far every person's been wrong who have said this. And so for some people, the return of Jesus doesn't even factor into their thinking. Um, and they consider anyone that thinks about the return of Jesus, well, that's the realm of crackpots. And later on in this letter, Peter is going to address this issue quite directly. But at this point, he's introducing it, right? So this is the pattern of the letter that we've had so far. He began by reminding us that by faith, we're going to participate in eternal glory with Christ. Uh, And the thing that's made this possible is Christ has saved us from our sin. We've escaped the corruption of this world that comes from sinful desire. And so we're bound for immortality. And then um, the next week we, we saw how it says, therefore, because of all this, we should make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, with, with an excellence of character and with right living. Faith and works must go together. And by practising these qualities, he gives us a whole list of things which are qualities, which are virtues, which we should be doing, which we should be living by. And by doing these things, uh, or by keeping in step with the Spirit, to use the language of, of Galatians that we just finished studying, our faith will be fruitful. Our faith will be effective. And there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And now, today, Peter tells us a second reason for our righteous living. The second reason is because we know that Jesus Christ is returning. And it could be at any moment. When I was a young fella, um, I know you, you think I'm still young, but when I was younger... Um, I was employed by my parents on the family farm. Uh, I was still boarding at home and my parents headed off to New Zealand for a few weeks. Um, And so I was the only person who was there. I was the only person working on the farm at the time. And so I had plenty of work to do and plenty to keep me busy. And I knew that my parents were returning. I even knew the date that it was going to be. And so what I, I did the only thing that any sensible person with good time management would do, I put off all house cleaning, every little bit of it. I didn't do anything. I didn't clean the kitchen. I didn't clean the bathroom. I wouldn't have even considered cleaning a toilet. Um, what, why would I do such things? I had three weeks till my parents would get back. And to give you a bit of an idea of how grotty it was, um, about a week and a bit into, into my experience, the kitchen had this dreadful stench. I thought, what is that smell? And I used my nose and I eventually found it. It was the dishcloth in the sink. And I think it was probably the first or second day I dropped an egg on the floor. And I grabbed the dishcloth and I wiped the egg up and threw it into the sink. And I hadn't used it for a week and a half. And, and of course, it had just gone, why would you use a dishcloth? I had, I had a cupboard full of dishes to use. So that's the way things were. Now, I, I know that some of you are finding this hard to believe because you know that I'm so, so um, clean. But back then, I was a downright grot. Robin's done amazing things to transform me. Anyway... <laughs> I can't remember what happened, 
But I had th- I'd gone right through these almost to the to the end of the three week stint. Um, I'd, 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 I'd actually run out of dishes by then, so I'd rinse off the, the last one I used and stand it up to dry before I needed it next time. Um, but it was only a few days until mum and dad were due and I was going to clean up the day before that they came. But something urgent happened, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but I think I had to head off to Toowoomba urgently for something for a few days. And it was so urgent, I didn't even have time to do any cleaning up before I left. So what I did is I grabbed this piece of paper and I wrote a note. Mum, I am so sorry. I fully intended to clean up, but, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on the farm. These things were really things that had to be done. And, but now this really urgent thing's come up. And so I, I, I'm so, so sorry for the mess. And I left that note on the, on the bench quickly fueled the car up, and away I went. Anyway, when mum and dad arrived home, they walked in and they found my note sitting on a pristine, sparkly kitchen bench. The whole house was immaculate. And what had happened was my brother had been studying at the Cornerstone community. There was a few of them sprinkled around. There was one at Dolby, one at Burke. There was one at Broken Hill. That's where my brother was, was at Broken Hill. And it's sort of like a Bible college that you worked your way through. So you'd sort of work half the day and you'd do Bible studies the other half the day. Anyway, they were going to surprise us. He was coming up to a camp um, where all the Cornerstone communities got together and I think it was Mount Tambourine. And they didn't tell us that they were coming. They were going to just drop in and surprise us. Well, he knew mum and dad were away, so he's going to surprise me. And um, they, they got a surprise themselves when they walked in and saw the state of the house. It, it was terrible. And, um, and what happened, the boys wouldn't do such a thing, but, but the girls, they just hooked in and cleaned the whole show up and made it absolutely sparkling and pristine and left my note sitting on the bench just as a, just as a sweet touch. <laughs> and um, our family still laughed about that. And, and the great joke at that stage was, because I, I was single and stuff, mum said, well, you won't be marrying any of the Cornerstone girls. They, they know what you're like. Um, anyway, I've done a lot of batching since then, and I never let the house go to rack and ruin. Uh, I learned my lesson. Now, Robin's sort of grimacing here, thinking, you don't let the house go. No, she has no idea how bad it was back then. Um, I have different standards now. But sometimes Christians are like that with the return of Jesus. We know that Jesus is coming, and yet we let our lives descend into this great big mess. And just like I was feeling rotten, and thoroughly embarrassed that my mum was going to see what her angelic little Michael had done to her beautiful home. Now, now let me tell you, my mum, I can't call her a clean freak, but she, she just, she was, is house proud the word? Like the home just had to be right. And um, we'd welcome visitors in, but as soon as the visitors left, the vacuum cleaner would come out and, and, and vacuum up after them, you know what I mean? But, she, but it wouldn't stop us from having visitors. But some of us would be absolutely, if Jesus should suddenly return, 
we would feel absolutely embarrassed and thoroughly disgusted at ourselves that we've let ourselves go or our sin go on for so long. And so Peter's quite clear here. I'm going to keep reminding you of these qualities. I'm going to keep reminding you of how you should be living your life. In fact, I'm going to write all these qualities down so that after I'm gone, this letter is going to be a constant reminder to you from the grave. I'm just going to keep telling you and telling you and telling you. He says, I know you know these qualities and I know that you're established in the truth. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And then he tells them, I, I, I'm going to die soon. Jesus told me that. But for now, verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Funny thing with preaching. The temptation ever before a preacher is to be always looking for something new and something exciting to tell our congregations. Now, the trouble is that's how a lot of false teachings come into churches because um, some people get, get, get the picture, oh, that's new, that's exciting, I've never heard that before. This bloke, he must be a really great teacher. He's telling me stuff I've never learned before. And sometimes there's a reason we've never learned these things before because they're false teachings. Uh, not always, but sometimes they are. But, but the thing is, once a preacher's, oh, I've told you something new and you've been excited by that, the temptation is then to find something else that's new to tell you. And sometimes we're just always looking for something new, whereas often what we need is to be reminded of what we already know. The age-old gospel cannot be improved upon. It needs to be told and retold and retold and celebrated and delighted in over and over and over again. And here's Peter. He's not telling them anything new. He's not telling them anything novel. He wanted to stir them up by reminding them of what they already knew. That because they've been saved, walk in the ways of Jesus. And remember, Jesus is coming again. Sometimes we do need to be reminded of these things, don't we? You see, Peter was aware that over time, disciples of Jesus become less zealous. Now, sometimes we forget the sin that we've been forgiven of. Sometimes we wander from the truth that we've been established in. Sometimes we fail to supplement our faith with righteous living. And so he would remind them and remind them again of these simple basics of the gospel. And these truths are extra important because we need to remember that we've got a saviour who is returning again. The gospel that Peter had proclaimed to them, it wasn't something that he and the other apostles had gotten their heads together and made it up. They were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Christ, eyewitnesses of the glory of Christ. And, and at this point, Peter thinks back to what must have been one of the most significant moments for him as he had followed Jesus. It's what we know as the transfiguration. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, 
Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognise him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he is speaking to them of John the Baptist. All right, so... That's the time when Peter saw with his own eyes the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. But, but what's the significance of it? Like I, I remember growing up in, in, you know, and going to church every Sunday. And um, so every, every year or so, we'd hear a story about the transfiguration. And I never actually, yeah, okay, so Jesus turned bright and shiny, cool. But I never actually grasped the significance of it. And what the significance is, is this was a glimpse of what Jesus is going to be like when he returns at his second coming. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. All right, so this is a future event. But Peter, James and John were already eyewitnesses to this coming event. The power and the glory of Jesus, it's not a thing of the past. Uh, the Greek word that Peter uses here for, for coming is perusian and just about everywhere in the bible where the, where the word perusia is used it's referring to the second coming of jesus it's not referring to his first coming so peter's telling us that the transfiguration was a glimpse of the glory and the power of jesus and and how he's going to come in his second coming so something I've been convicted of in this Bible reading is, is we need to be proclaiming the second coming of Jesus a lot more than what we do. The first time Jesus came 
He came as a saviour and he came as a servant. But we and others need to be reminded that when Jesus returns, he's not going to be coming as the servant anymore. He's going to be coming as as our saviour in glory and power. Anyone who's expecting Jesus to be a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, they're not going to recognise him. And it isn't a new thing for Jesus not to be recognised. You see, the image that we have of Jesus returning in power is he will come as the judge to judge the world who rejected him. In Revelation chapter 19, he's depicted as a rider on a white horse. His robe is dipped in blood. He's crowned with many crowns. A sharp sword is coming from his mouth to strike down the nations. He'll rule over them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty and the flesh of the mighty and the lowly. All who have rejected Jesus, who are enemies of his, will be, their flesh will become pickings for the birds. I mean, this is a pretty harsh image that we don't like to talk about much because we don't want to offend anyone. And so a lot of people aren't going to recognise Jesus when he returns. And it's not a new thing for Jesus not to be recognised. The reason that Jesus wasn't recognised as the Messiah by by most people at his first coming is because the prophets had given images of both his first coming and his second coming. Right, So the prophets were looking forwards to the coming of Jesus as like they're looking through a telescope. Now, If you've used a telescope before, you can see stuff off in the distance, but it's really hard to tell whether, okay, whether these two things you're looking at, how far apart are they? Are they part of the one thing or are they far apart? Binoculars give you the third dimension so you can see how far apart things are. But when you're looking through a telescope, you can't. And that's what a lot of this prophecy was like. It was looking forwards to both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And the people didn't, the prophets didn't realise that there was a gap in between. And so the religious leaders didn't recognise Jesus when he came. Because what were they fixated on? I think they were looking at, at the attributes of the Messiah at his second coming when he would come as the mighty judge because they were sick of of, of all the oppression that they'd copped under the Romans and they were thinking, wow, we're looking forward to the Messiah to come because he's going to wrap things up and he's going to judge these people who are harming God's people. He's going to harm our oppressors. But Jesus didn't come as as the mighty judge. He came as the suffering servant and they killed him. But the second coming is still yet to come. And so Peter says in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The Old Testament messianic prophecies and Jesus' own prophecies that he spoke about his coming return are confirmed by the transfiguration. And we would pay, do well to pay attention to these. Peter describes them as a lamp 
shining in a dark place. A few weeks ago, we touched on the concept of the now, but not yet. Do you remember that? Right? We are saved by the blood of Jesus and we are going to be with him in glory, but not yet. The now is we live in this fallen, broken world, which is a dark place to live. If you don't experience the world as a dark place, maybe you're not looking forward to the light enough. But we have a lamp in this dark place. The scriptures provide light so we know what's really going on. Probably a pretty good example of this at the moment is the whole anxiety that some people have over the COVID virus. I keep coming in contact with people who are so dreadfully fearful. In the early stages, uh, the, the people who were dreadfully afraid were the ones who were dreadfully afraid that they were going to catch this virus and they might die or their loved ones might catch it and they might die. And I've had a few very serious conversations with people. Are you a Christian or aren't you? Why are you so afraid of death? Is this person you love a Christian or aren't they? Why are you so afraid that they're going to die? Don't you know you'll go to be with Jesus? Isn't this what we're hoping for and we're looking forward to? Do you believe or do you not believe that God has everything in control? Don't be afraid. But now the tables seem to have turned. Um, those who were afraid of dying... Well, they're getting vaccinated now and they're not so filled with fear. Now, the ones that I come across who are overcome with fear are those who are convinced that it's all a great conspiracy and, and, and that there's something nasty in these needles and, and these needles are somehow going to harm people. And, and once again, I've had to have some very serious conversations with people. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you not trust that God has everything in control? Um, I've read the Bible and spoiler alert, I got to the end. I hope I don't spoil the ending for anyone. Jesus wins, right? Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Now, personally, I don't believe there is a great conspiracy. Oh, there's no doubt that there are some politicians who are very much enjoying their newfound power and control, but guess what? The public are loving it. Look who we're electing. We're electing those who are enjoying the power and control. But even if there is a great conspiracy, so what? Who cares? The scriptures tell us not to be afraid of conspiracies. As Christians, we have no reason to be afraid of things that people of the world get afraid of. You know why? Because we know who is really in control, and it's not Bill Gates. It's God. In faith, we have no fear. We're not consumed by these things. The scriptures are our lamp in the dark world that we live in. And these scriptures just cut straight through the darkness. The light revealed in the scriptures is Jesus is returning. The religious leaders 
They missed the first coming of Jesus because they were totally focused on the prophecies that were foretelling his second coming. We know that. Right? So that's the now. The world is the dark place. But we have the light of God's word to remind us that Jesus is coming. And then Peter describes the not yet. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Yes, Jesus is coming as the righteous judge to slay his enemies. But that shouldn't make us afraid. This is going to be like the dawning of morning. Are there any morning people here? Who loves morning when the sun comes up? Excellent. There's a few of us. For those of you who aren't morning people, you're going to have to get over it because the coming of Jesus is going to be like the dawning of morning. It's like the, the best part of the day. And the morning star rises in our hearts. This isn't merely a world event that's going to happen and we get to watch on. Um, the perusia of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, in this, something significant happens to us. Because this is also our resurrection and our coming into the glory of Christ. We also become glorified with Christ. It's prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures and it's been prophesied by the words of Jesus himself. These messianic processes, they weren't made up by the will of man and they're not open to our own interpretation. Later on, Peter's going to talk about how false teachers twist the scriptures and, and make them line up with their own ideas and they'll be judged for that. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time when we get to it. But, but true prophecy was never produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. And when God speaks, it's not up to us to decide what it means. And it's not up to us to reinterpret what God has said. What God's word says stands and it stands forever, and it means what it means. God's word is unchangeable. I think what Peter's teaching us here is we can trust the scriptures. It's the word of God. It's been tested. It's been confirmed. Now, that doesn't mean that, that every person who claimed to be a prophet was a real prophet. Throughout the history of Israel, false prophets abounded and they would mislead anyone who would listen to them. And a lot did listen to them. The majority thought, oh yeah, these are the prophets, we like what they're saying. It's got to be the word of God. And, but they were weeded out. And the true prophets are the ones who, who are given the voice in the scriptures. This is what makes a prophet, you see. A prophet speaks only the words that God has given them to say. And this is why we have to be very careful today uh, because many who claim to be prophets aren't prophets of God at all. They're putting forward their own ideas. 
And that's what's called a false prophet. And we're going to talk more about false prophets and false teachers next week. But I just want to finish by saying this. It's because of false prophets and false teachers that the way of truth is blasphemed. That's what Peter said today. It means that the way of truth is brought into bad repute. Now, do you know what that tells me? Firstly, it means there is a way of truth. And what Peter's been telling us here is that truth is that Jesus is returning again. And secondly, it tells me that if I'm not following the truth, if I'm not um, walking in the way of truth, I'm giving Jesus a bad rep. Jesus is returning. And so we should live in all righteousness as we await the day of glory and know that he's coming because it's been prophesied in the scriptures and it's been confirmed in the transfiguration. Is anyone excited that Jesus is returning? Excellent. I'm seeing lots of nodding heads, no hands coming out of pockets because they're all cold. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the promise of your return in glory. Help us to eagerly await this day as we read the scriptures and the prophecies of your return. Help us to be encouraged by your lamp in a dark world. And Lord, as we await that day, help us to live as your faithful children in all love and righteousness and to bring glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen.